In 2021, early in the year, there was a military coup. Mandela is an interesting case because he started out uh, embracing violence. And then sometimes they put landmines on, on the pot. Lots of protests there, and it was one of the bloodiest days uh, to date. Over 100 people were killed. The hatred and fear just take over. Many people listening to this in America are experiencing the increasing polarization. It was much more, okay, you want to fight, resist. You know, it was a very active, engaged approach, but it was very shrewd. But resist with nonviolence, fight with love. I just get into this uh, spiral cycle of uh, anger, fear, hatred, and then I, I didn't find any, any, any way out. It's just intense. Even listening to you is so intense. A country in turmoil. When you are living in the midst of a civil war or a brutal government dictatorship, how do you react? How do you respond? This is not just a hypothetical question. In today's Life of the Mind podcast, our creator and host, Jake Chaco, leads a personal and unique conversation with someone living under such an oppressive regime. My name is uh, Sam. I live in this Southeast Asian country. He is also joined by an American who lived in that country for many years and translates not the language, but the history and the context for us to understand. I'll go by Don in this interview. I am an American. As you can hear, we will use pseudonyms and won't share either of their real names or explicitly state the country in question as a measure of security for these men and their families. Sam is in country for the interview. Don is the expat American recording this from Atlanta. He cannot return to the country due to the government and COVID. And Jake is in California. What I can share is the country is located in Southeast Asia and experienced decades of a repressive and abusive military regime. International agencies documented major human rights violations, particularly by the government against ethnic minorities or anyone who opposed them. There was progress towards liberalization with a democratically elected government. However, when the military-dominated party won very few parliamentary seats in the last election, they decided to take over by force with a coup. Many in the government have recently dispersed and some of the democratically elected leaders were imprisoned. This coup continued with further violent oppression of the people, including burning of cars and killing of unarmed local men, women, and children, and even staff of an international aid organization. Most of us listening in the U.S. have never experienced something like this directly in our lifetime. We may not have a perfect government or society. We may even have individual grievances, but we don't fear our own military in a concerted effort to attack and control the entire population. But draw upon your own experiences of fear and anger and put yourself in Sam's position. How would you act? Do you have noble ideas of standing up to the oppressors and fighting back? Or a realistic and equally valid plan of self and family preservation by removing yourself literally or passively from the strife? Fight or flight are common human reactions. But if fighting attempts have been futile and you don't have the means or desire of escape, what else can you do? Another common option people have taken throughout history is to join the oppressors, 
even if you disagree, because it results in the least conflict and most safety for you and your family. Joining can either be explicit, as in those participating in the 1994 genocide in Rwanda, or implicit, like some Germans pre-World War II, turning a blind eye to the concentration camps being built and Jewish neighbors being taken away. As Sam shares his experiences, remember this is real, this is raw, this is not a look at history with hindsight assumptions on motives. This is happening right now, and we are hearing from someone in the midst of his and his nation's crisis, struggling to do what he thinks is right, even if it's hard. So one is fight, two is join, or three is flee. How would you respond? And what would it look like to have a fourth way? Here's Jake to better introduce his guests and learn from Sam how he responded and how Don explains the fourth way. Hi, I'm Jake Chaco, and this is another Life of the Mind podcast brought to you by the Oak Guild Institute. At OGI, we are on a quest for truth and learning via dialogue, contested if needed, but always loving. I have been so looking forward to this conversation on, quote, the fourth way with our two guests ever since I met them. Over Zoom, I'll add. The reason I've been looking forward to this dialogue is because a key premise behind OGI is having loving, contested dialogue. Several of us started this fledgling institute because of the increased polarization and vitriol here in the United States. We believe loving, contested dialogue is an antidote to that polarization. Well, what if one needs to go way beyond just contested dialogue? What if life itself is contested with the authorities or the regime or a state? How can one have a loving, contested life with the state? How much of that contestation then also becomes internal? As Kate will no doubt have teed up before we publish this podcast, one of our guests, Sam, is living through such a situation in a Southeast Asian country. Our other guest, Don, is an American walking beside him through the vicissitudes of the political situation as well as the pandemic. Wow, and I thought we had it rough in the United States. We're going to talk about the fourth way. A note, though, while the OGI is not explicitly faith-based, we will look to areas of faith for truth as well as ways to live. Our guests very explicitly do that, and we seek in this conversation to take lessons from how they're living. With that, let's get into it. Kate, no doubt, has set the context well and explained that we will only use first names for our guests to protect them. Let's begin with Don the American. Welcome, Don, and take it away. Tell us about yourself and how you and Sam got together. Thank you, Jake. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, so I'll go by Don in this interview. I am an American and was in California before moving over to Southeast Asia. I moved there in 2008, and I met Sam in a leadership development program for senior level leaders that I was a part of teaching. I was teaching design thinking and innovation. And so we met in 2016 in this program. And then I also ran the alumni program for this leadership development group. So we kept in touch. And my wife and I and two kids were in the US in early 2020, just on a short trip. And March 2020 happened, COVID, and everything shut down. And we missed our flights back by three days. We were stranded in the US and didn't exactly know what to do, hold up in a cabin in the woods for a while. And while we were at that cabin, COVID was breaking all over the world and everybody was trying to figure out how to deal with it. So I called Sam up and said, hey, uh, what do you think we should do? 
And we talked about it and prayed about it and decided we were just going to start a group of people to begin this dialogue of what what should be done in this country. Uh, there's resource constraints and you know what do we need to do? And that group grew and blossomed through the various phases of COVID. And then in 2021, early in the year, there was a military coup and the military took over and there was very staunch resistance and protests all across the country. The whole country showed up and started protesting. And what started peacefully um, did not end that way. It became violent. Eventually, the military began opening fire on crowds and um, it got worse and worse and worse. And it was very traumatizing for anybody who was involved or in touch with the country. And in just a few weeks before Easter in 2021, the country celebrated Armed Forces Day, which is a celebration of the military. And of course, that was a very controversial thing. Lots of protests there. And it was one of the bloodiest days uh, to date. Over 100 people were killed with uh, military-grade assault weapons, many more injured. It was just incredibly bloody and incredibly traumatizing. And that was just a few days before Easter. And we didn't know which way was up. And so I pulled Sam together with a, another four or five leaders. It was a close group of leaders and just tried to give a little Easter pep talk. And um, the topic was, well, what do we do under a violent and brutal military regime? Did Easter is the thing that we're celebrating. Did Jesus know anything about brutal military regimes? What can we learn from that? And out of that conversation blossomed this longer term conversation about the fourth way, which Sam can explain or I can explain or whatever, but that's how we got to know each other. And ever since then, we've been meeting together to see what we can do together. <clears throat> me in a support role he's the boots on the ground to push forward this conversation among people who are prone toward a more violent response wow uh before we go to sam uh thank you so much don i've heard the story um before but every time you retell it i get more depth and texture what i got out of it is both of you had a relationship and then COVID interrupted the physical meeting and the work you were doing together. And then on top of that, wow, this thing happened uh, with the uh, military coup and we living in the United States thought we had it bad, not even close is what it sounds like, but, but that enabled you to take your relationship, which is already there, but take it to a new level. And obviously um, we'll wait to hear from Sam, but both of you are, are Christians. Uh, the Oak Guild Institute is not explicitly faith-based, but uh, all of us founders are followers of Jesus, but the uh, but in in many senses, I'll will be interested to find out you know whether the fourth way can be applied uh, in, in any kind of context like like this would be. So thank you for sharing that story, John. Sure. And uh, so Sam, we've heard about the uh, coup, and we're going to talk about the fourth way. But once the coup happened, what did you experience that made you realize? You've got to figure out a way to to deal with the situation. You and your friends. What what, what happened actually? Uh, thank Sam. you for thank you so much for this question. Yeah, it was a normal day. I still remember. I still clearly remember that day. it was a normal normal day. And then normally I wake up around five five thirty, and then I I did some uh, uh, exercise, physical exercise. But before I woke up, there was a phone call from my sister telling us that, and then I wasn't. I didn't believe it. This is impossible. 
the, the coup is impossible. But eventually, we started to find out that this is true because no phone line, all the phone lines stopped working. So uh, starting from 6, 7 o'clock, every phone line stopped. So uh, I realized that this is a reality now. But then eventually I started to hear many people were arrested. Some of the top leaders, political leaders were arrested. And one of the person arrested is my, my childhood best friend. He, I regard him as one of the best human beings in the world because of his attitude, his, uh, his heart, his passion. But he was very unpopular with the, with the military. So he is one of the person. Uh, among the politicians, he wasn't a politician. He a politician. He he is an artist, a singer, but he was arrested, and I was got so angry. Then I I call his mother, and then his mother see me one word, Sam, pray for my son, because I'm so worried if he is going to be tortured at the at the uh, investigation center because they are very notorious, they are very um, known for their brutality. And then that breaks my heart because this is my friend. And then his mother is also like my aunt. And then the, the, I, I, can, I can sense her pain, the pain in her, in her heart. So it was, it was very, very tough. But what I did was uh, on, on the next Sunday, the first Sunday after that happened, I went to my church. The, the church was closed because of the COVID and uh, still, it was still closed. But I, I asked the permission to get into the church. I went into the church all by myself. I was sitting there alone and I started to bless people. I blessed the chief of the military. I blessed the spokesman of the military because the, the statements are so irritating and so they are so uh, inflammatory. So I, I, I blessed these two people. And also I blessed my friend and I blessed those who those people who are interrogating him. And then it gives me a lot of, a lot of freedom after that. Because uh, it, uh, until I do that, I, I, I was just stuck in my anger, uh, uh, more and more anger, more anger. And then I, I, I was stuck in there. And then uh, it, it, uh, it uh, released me a lot. A, a few weeks later, there were a lot of demonstration. And the demonstrators are very creative. And in the, the demonstrator, they put the, the photo, the face of the chief of the military on the street so that people can step on it, like a dehumanizing, uh, dehumanizing the, the, the military chief. And then when we, I go out, I, I, I walk on the street, I sometimes I encounter those sections where the street was full of photos. I, I choose not to step on it because in my mind, I don't want to dehumanize this gentleman, although I don't agree with his action. And then his action is going to cause a lot of uh, damages to many people and also to the country. But I decided not to do that. I was able to do that because I keep on blessing this gentleman. I never met this person. I just saw this person from the television, but I was able to do that. It was such a powerful uh, moment that I wanted to share. So Sam, um, the th thank you for sharing. Obviously, when you found out that your uh, your best friend had been arrested, that as as a start, that that caused you pause. 
and I admire how you reacted when you didn't step on the picture of the uh, of the general. But then you went to Don and said, "Hey, help me! I imagine help me get through this thing." But you were already acting in in what seems to me to be the right way. So, uh, what caused you to turn to Don and 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 get additional support? Don Don has the capacity to see the big picture. To see so, and then he has uh, so many connection connection and contacts. And then uh, he, he has a very big knowledge on, on this thing. And then uh, because uh, when I see people are getting into the cycle of violence, I, I, I knew that this is not the answer, but we need to find out uh, the non-violence way. So uh, Don started to share me some uh, podcast and some video, uh, YouTube clips uh, promoting non-violence. It was very, very helpful. But eventually, as we continue to, to talk to each other, Jesus Ford Way emerged. And then this is, uh, for, for me, this is the, the best thing that I, uh, I, I got. So there are a lot of puzzles, but when I have the conversation with uh, Don, he nicely put everything together through um, study, more study of the biblical story, the story of Jesus. And also there are some very nice terminology coming up uh, uh, in the process. So, yeah, this is a very amazing discovery. Uh, thank you so much, Sam. And uh, what comes through is the uh, friendship of two people deepened through the crucible of these trials. So let's, let's get into this fourth way because uh, I'm fascinated and our listeners will be. Um, you said you d discovered it. Um, in, in May, June of 2021, after the uh, after the coup, um, but uh, tell us what it is, what you knew about it before, and was it a rediscovery or a new appreciation for it, or was it brand new? Uh, just just tell us w w what it is uh, and, and 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 what you discovered. Yeah, I mean, I will say there's nothing new under the sun, so this is not anything new. But it's just looking at the historical records with a new lens. And when something happens to you and you're starting to think about that and process that in a much more visceral way, then when you look at what happened in the past, sometimes you see things a bit differently. And I think that's what it was for me. And as all of us have had that conversation, things about the historical records about Jesus and his teachings have come alive and have have you know, been painted in new colors. Isn't that how you would describe it, Sam? Yes. Yes, Don. Yeah, the, I, I like the phrase that there's nothing new under the sun. Yes. But uh, for me, this is, uh, this is a kind of uh, putting uh, different pieces uh, of puzzles together because uh, I, I, I see myself as a peace builder in this, in this country. Uh, I try to promote peace, uh, sustain peace uh, through, um, basically through, uh, uh, trauma, dealing with our trauma, finding ways to uh, heal it, and also building resilience. So this is this is my my passion, my interest. So maybe Sam, uh, you know, not all of our listeners are, are as well versed in the context of the life and times of Jesus, right? And what is apparent is, for you at least, it was palpable the frustration, the anger, right? And you find a way to to channel all of that 
Um, but maybe you can take us back to the life and times of Jesus and what that was like. And you say the fourth way, there must have been other ways to make it the fourth. Just give us a background or a context, either of you, if you can. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I will start a little bit, and but I will let Don to to continue uh, talking about the, the way. When we, we we look at Jesus as our Savior, uh, Redeemer, it is good. It is helpful. But what does it mean in this kind of situation when we are facing extreme violence? We are witnessing extreme violence in our community. How Jesus is going to save us? At this at this moment, how can we make this realistic in our life? And then looking looking back to Jesus' life, he lived under a very repressive Roman regime, and then he he uh, promoted his own way to save his people. So this is the this is the thinking of Jesus that I have. But I I would let Don to continue this, please. Thank you, thank you, Sam. How about this? I'll summarize it, and then you add the color to it because you're the one living in it right now, um, and just what it means for you in the the current context. Yeah, the fourth way term comes from the fact that there were three other ways that were on the political scene at the time of Jesus. Roman military occupation it was a big problem. Um, they were brutal. It was oppressive. Jesus wasn't the only guy who got crucified. Roman soldiers would just crucify people on the side of the road just to show that they were in power uh, to intimidate and you know, breed fear among the people that they were trying to control. And everybody was thinking about what do you do against a brutal oppressive regime where they have all the power, they have all the weapons, how do you fight against that? There were three responses on the scene. One was um, within the Jewish community. One was the zealots who decided that they needed to violently oppose Rome and try to overthrow the Roman regime through violence. So their path was violence. Um, the particularly extreme zealots became the Sicarii who were Jews who would carry around, they, they were named this for the um, dagger that they would carry around, and they would go and assassinate Jews who they felt were not radical enough in their opposition of Rome or who were opposing the zealots movement. So it was, it was, it became Jew on Jew violence if, if they felt that people were not um, <clears throat> in their lane as much as they wanted them to be. Then there were the Pharisees and Sadducees, and for the sake of this discussion, I know there are differences between the two, uh, but the commonality between them is that they both practiced accommodation with the Roman Empire, and they tried to work within the system, they were pragmatic, they wanted to gain political power and influence. And so they put their hope in negotiation, pragmatism, political power. That was a second way. The third way was that of the Essenes. John the Baptist is maybe a good example of someone influenced by Essenic thought. And the Essenes disengaged. They withdrew. They, they were a purity movement. And so they withdrew from society, viewing it as corrupt. And they just prayed for the judgment of God to come supernaturally, fireballs from heaven, that kind of stuff. Uh, but they were not really engaged politically. Um, they, they put their hope in divine intervention. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he's none of these things. He's not violent. Um, that's clear from his teachings on Turn the Other Cheek. He does not compromise politically. Nobody can own him or get a handle on what he's doing. And yet he's not disengaged. He's extremely engaged, and he makes these extremely sharp and biting political comments. And in fact, the movement that he launches, if you look at the historical records, ends up taking over the Roman Empire. And 300 years 300 odd years after the death of Jesus, 
Constantine, the emperor, bows his knee and he says, Christos Kyrios, which is Jesus is Lord, right? That was the, the term that they used for the emperor. And at that point, you see the movement had actually dismantled the Roman regime, uh, the military regime. And he did it without firing a single shot or spear, or I guess, whatever the analogy would be. And when we talked about this strategy and broke down, well, what pragmatically did Jesus do? How did he engage? The strategy gets broken down into three parts. Um, one is that Jesus redefines the battle that's going on. Everybody around saw it as the Jews versus the Romans. It was very easy to see whose side you were on. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is not an ethnic battle. This is not a geopolitical battle. This is a battle between what he called the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. There are these two movements in the world happening. And that's the real battle. And the battle can even happen inside a person. He says, if, if your own eye causes you to do something that is evil, chop it out, right? The, so the idea is you need to look with a critical eye at yourself and at others, which is why Jesus was able to make friends with centurions and Jewish political leaders and Essenes, because he was able to find within every different political group or ethnic group, people who were on the side of good and truth and what he called the kingdom of God. Um, the second thing that he did is he destroyed the weapons of Rome, destroyed the enemy's weapons. So Rome, beyond just using swords and spears and crosses, they used violence and fear to get what they wanted. And they used violence and fear to intimidate people into um, <clears throat> being subservient. And what Jesus did primarily through his own um, march toward crucifixion was to show a kind of fearlessness about what the Romans could do. And he was, he was fearless about his own death and he did not allow them to intimidate him or terrify him. And in doing so, he, he broke the fear of that. And, uh, for the sake of argument, you don't even have to believe whether or not Jesus rose from the dead after he was crucified. Um, all you have to believe for the sake of this argument is that his disciples thought he did. And because they thought he did, they were similarly fearless about their own deaths. And that took away the main weapon that Rome had, which was fear and intimidation. And his disciples went out and they proclaimed that Jesus is king and they did good. And if brutality happened, they said, you know, let it happen. We are not afraid. We have another life, another inheritance coming to us. Uh, many of them were martyred. And again, the Romans tried to do this publicly. We've all heard stories of the gladiators and Christians being fed to the lions. And many Christians showed an amazing and remarkable degree of fearlessness in those circumstances, which was really um, impressive to a lot of other people and even attractive. And many people began to join the movement. So anytime the Romans would kill someone in the movement, 10 other people would be impressed by the way that they died and joined. And the, the, the Jesus following movement grew. And then the third part of Jesus's strategy was to fight with love. So that was the main weapon that he chose. It was not a disengage, just let bygones be bygones. I'm not going to fight. Oh, no, he was fighting, but he was fighting with love. And he says, you know, pray for your enemies. If they're thirsty, give them a drink. If they're hungry, feed them. And in doing so, you will overcome them with love because you're going to change. I'm paraphrasing now, but he, he, what he meant is you will change their mindset and get through to them in a way that violence cannot. And in doing so, you will actually win them over to your side rather than just destroying them. So those three things, redefine the battle, destroy the enemy's weapons, and fight with love were the basic tenets that Jesus taught. And it was an effective 
strategy, just strictly on a historical um, standpoint, the strat the nonviolent strategy of Jesus did, it took a long time, but over the course of about 300 years, it dismantled a very violent and brutal military regime. And I find that tremendously impressive. And so that was the thing that we began discussing and applying to our context in Southeast Asia. Thank you so much, Don. Sam, you had to live it, but as a as uh, for me, I'm just a student here. So um, Professor Don here said, if you find yourself in such a regime, you can uh, fight it violently because you believe in the justness of your cause. Um, you can be an opportunist or and try and profit from that, or you can totally withdraw. But Jesus, as a historical figure, chose to engage. And what you said is, is his methods of engagement was he... He reframed it to be, first of all, an inner discernment between good and evil, regardless of which tribe you you were from. And to to uh, I won't use the, the military terminology, but he blunted the intimidation factor by just not being afraid, and he responded with love. And so, as a student in the safe confines of the United States, I can absorb that and repeat what Professor Don just said, but Sam, you had to live that. So that must have been a different experience. So tell us, you heard the lesson and then you got to go live it. And you're saying, I don't know if it had been me. Not so fast. I can't do it. Uh, that's that's all nice theory, but t tell us how, how you took it, applied it, internalized it and started to live it. Thanks, Jake. <clears throat> yes, living it. Walking the path, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a key thing. So uh, this is named the fog way. So we can imagine a, a road intersection that, that has four, four directions, uh, east, west, north, and south. And then I need to walk to the east. It, it doesn't matter what kind of uniform, what kind of identity that I'm bearing. Uh, the, 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 the thing that matters most is I'm taking on, I'm on that, on that road. I, I, I I know because I know the road. It doesn't. It doesn't help. I need to be on the road. I need to walk the road. So for me, living out it here. Uh, ever since we started to talk about that uh, after Easter last year, I, uh, I I got so many chances to present this. Uh, it's about one hour, one and a half hour presentation to uh, people. So it, it, that is the way that I live it out. Because when I whenever I present. To different people, I, I learn I learn more things. I learn how to apply that. I like I, I learn how difficult it is to to be on this path of the fourth way. So this is this is this is my experience. Whenever I, I get a chance to present this to uh, Christian, Buddhist, and other civil society leaders, the first thing is the, the resistance. And then, then, and then come uh, the curiosity. Does the messages that presented are not very easy to accept because of our ingrained redemptive violence that is so deep inside us so that this, this message is so uneasy for us. Even though uh, you can be a, a religious leader, you know Jesus, you teach about Jesus to other people, but, but when it comes to following the way of Jesus, the fourth way of Jesus, it is it is very difficult to a lot of people and also uh, to myself. So overcoming the idea of redemptive violence in our mind is one of the 
uh, a big, the biggest challenges. But for me, I, I'm living it out here. And then, uh, uh, like uh, Don mentioned, there are three. There are three. There are three ways: redefining a better, destroy the enemy weapons, fight with love. This is so different from the the first three ways, which are collaborating, violence against violence, or disengagement. So, uh, for me, when I live that out, I need to redefine my better. What is my better? So, uh, I, I want to fight. I want to resist, but resist with nonviolence. Fight with love. So, uh, I need to fight my fear. I need to fight my anger and my hatred, because the situation, the stories, the experiences are so bitter and then anger, fear and hatred are emerging every day, every morning. I, I, I get up with those things and then I need to fight my own fear. I need to fight my own anger and hatred. How do I fight it? If I resist my anger, if I resist my fear and hatred, it persists, it grows. So when I, whenever I am, uh, I, am uh, I, I try to be mindful of myself. And then when I'm stuck in the cycle of violence, meaning that when I start to victimize myself because of the situation, no, I'm not the victim here. I, 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 I can get out of this. I have the savior. I, I have the, the savior who show me the way. So I need to uh, stop victimizing myself. Whenever I started to create us versus them narratives, stop because Bring in empathy in, 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 in your own life and then understand, not only yourself, understand your enemy so that uh, you, you are not stuck in these uh, narratives, which, are, which often the us versus them narratives are often, um, I would say, uh, poison our minds. And then uh, whenever I have the desire for the utter destruction of the enemy, my enemy, Oh, oh, Sam, you are, you are again thinking, uh, thinking of this. Uh, you are again stuck in the cycle of violence because you wish, you desire the utter destruction of your, your enemy, which is not the way of Jesus. Because of the atrocity that they committed, you are very angry. And then when you, whenever you have this uh, desire, this is not the, the, the fault way, but use that energy to transform your anger, fear, to, to do some good things, to help other people. Finally, I want to say that when I want to stop praying for my enemy or for, for those who cause them so much harm and pain in our society, start again to pray for those who persecute us, not, not only physically, but more mentally pray for them. In that way, I can live out the fourth way of Jesus. Can I just draw you out a little bit, Sam? I mean, in all the conversations that we've had, we've had lots of screaming and yelling and crying and falling apart because this has been just intensely emotional. And I just want to draw you out on one of the things that you said. Um, I think it has been helpful for us over the last year that when all this stuff raises up inside of us, and we're frustrated and we're angry, we just want to lash out, to remember that the fourth way of Jesus was not, it was not the, just let it all go, you know, let go and let God just, you know, take a deep breath and try to reset. It was much more, okay, you want to fight, 
resist. You know, it was a very active, engaged approach, but it was very shrewd. And what we have come to believe is that it was more effective. And so when we have these conversations, we are able to say, you know, I'm extremely angry. And the goal is not to um, become a saint without any kind of emotions. But what you said, to channel that into effective action that creates lasting change and to understand the mechanisms and dynamics of that um, rather than just try to take a deep breath. You know, that that only works so far when people are are being brutalized and, and shot on the street. Um, well, I mean, uh, for, uh, for myself and I'd imagine our listeners, this is um, so powerful. Um, you can take the lesson, but well, it's obvious even now just listening to you, Sam, the injustice makes you mad. And as Don was saying, you can't not get mad. You have to get mad. But that madness, that, 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 that sense of injustice was making you lash out. And I dare say, just listening to you, the bigger battle was within yourself that was raging to turn that anger, not outward, but to turn uh, but to use it as a force to, to to respond differently. And it wasn't easy. And it almost sounds like because of your obviously deep, deep faith, you had hope. But to put that into practice, you had to tell other people about it so that you could also then <laughs> force yourself to do it. And so you were fighting yourself while you were telling other people because you were hanging on to clutching on to that hope because you believed and you wanted it to work. Is that, is that what I'm gathering from what you just said? Is this intense? Even listening to you is so intense. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. So, so let me ask you, uh, because others have thought this, but before we go to others, and I think you touched on some of this, what worked, what didn't work, what, what, what has changed you? What is different from, Sam of May 2022 when we're recording this to Easter of 2021 when you started to internalize this? I will try to answer, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Jake, yeah. So I am I'm a different person. I'm totally a different person after receiving this message and then uh, spreading this message to other people because, uh, because of the, like I, I mentioned that, when uh, when I don't know that I'm angry, when I don't realize that I am, I have a, uh, uh, I, I I have a uh, I'm a lot a great fear when I when I don't know that when I when I don't pay attention to that I just follow that and then the I just get into this uh, spiral cycle of uh, anger, fear, hatred, and then I, I I didn't find any 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 way out. But when I think about uh, Jesus fought with. I have I have a way out way out of that. So uh, so I would say that I that this is the message that transform me, and then this is the message that I'm trying to share to other people. But it is not always straightforward. Ever since I started to share this in uh, actually when I checked back the date, it was in May 2021. The the first time I shared this message. I think uh, more than half of people cannot agree with me because it was it was a time that the violence started to uh, young people started to go out to the jungle, taking up uh, taking up arms, taking up 
um, military trainings, and a lot of support. A lot of people are so excited about it. This is the group of people that are going to deliver us from our uh, predicament. So there, there are a lot of uh, hope on, on that situation. So half of them. But as, as I, I want to continue to tell you about the situation that I face in my family with my parents. My, par my parents were still alive at the time. It was less than a year ago. Everybody were angry, social media, news, all the stories are very negative, very uh, uh, painful, very tragic, the suffering, the killings. So I started to see a lot of dehumanization uh, in the conversation in the family also, because I live, with, I live very close to my parents. Also, I live at the same house with my parents you know, starting from the morning till night, the conversation, it's all about the brutality, uh, the bad things uh, about this, uh, the, this whole situation. So, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a very difficult situation. And uh, I'm very sad to see that good people, like my parents, they are very good people. My parents, they are very good people. For my mother, she, at her uh, retirement age, she spent a lot of time reading the Bible, pray. But when it comes to seeing the violence, she said, these people, they deserve the same kind of, of violence that they inflicted to other people. And at one point, I, was a ch I, I got a chance to talk at the Star Prayer. And then I talk about, uh, uh, pray for us that we will come up to a negotiated solution. And, and then I share that, uh, that, that uh, video clips to my mother and my mother just didn't like it because she said, no, 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 no more negotiating. We cannot negotiate with these kind of people. The only, the only, uh, the only solution for our problem is to, mm. to, 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 uh, to respond with violence so that we can overcome this violence. So it was that big. And then we can hear good versus evil, evil narratives all the time. We can hear the dehumanization all the time. Those things that really make me sad, uh, make me sad and also angry. Okay. That was intense. We can feel what Sam is going through. His internal struggle of what to do himself and how to respond to his family and friends is sometimes a more personal struggle than the struggle with the outside regime. There is a very real belief in this country and from many oppressed people around the world that only violence can respond to violence. So before we get back to Sam's incredible story and born in the fourth way, we thought we'd give you a bit of a breather and share for 30 seconds about the Oak Guild Institute. The Life of the Mind podcast is from the Oak Guild Institute. At OGI, we seek truth from unique experiences and diverse perspectives. Listening and learning may lead to contested dialogue. We believe contested dialogue can still be loving and compassionate between those with opposing viewpoints. Oak Guild Institute is a fledgling organization with a podcast and a salon-style conversations, bringing people together in person and online. Please visit oakguild.org, O-A-K-G-U-I-L-D dot O-R-G to learn more and get involved. Now back to Sam's story and how he's living the fourth way. But there were some people, and then mostly women, hey, 
let's meet again next week and then I'll organize a group of people. Let's talk about uh, this message to the to another group of people, but mostly they are Christians because uh, as Christians, we know the life of Jesus, but this is another perspective that we are looking at that we don't talk about very much at the church. So uh, so when this, uh, this is, uh, there are a lot of excitement, there are a lot of resistance to that as, uh, as well. So my learning is that, uh, my learning is that uh, we need to accept the situation because the violence is so big. And then the only thing that we can see in our environment is violence. So the only thing that we are thinking is violence. So I, I, uh, I need to accept that situation. I need to allow, allow, allow time for that. But after, let's say after a year of uh, violence engagement that we see in this, in this country, people started to ask this question, will violence really deliver us? Violence only harbor more violence. So this is this is what I. People, a lot of people start to think about that because of uh, because of the the story, the situation that, that they see every day. But also that my for my for me also this is my own personal struggle. When I try to share this message, when people are not buying this, or not believing this. Sometimes the church leader, religious leaders, I, I get very, very frustrated. I get very upset, and then I need to overcome that uh, that that attitude also, uh, because I need to. We, it is it is it is important to allow allow time to accept the real situation. Uh, finally, I would say that I am the I'm the uh, I, I'm spreading the the message of the cross, the message of uh, Jesus for me, but. It helps me, but I'm not superior. I'm not better than other people. We all are on a same journey of uh, transforming, personal transformation, transforming our lives. Because for me, I see this truth. I see this truth uh, at, at one point, and this, this helped me. But I'm not, because of that, I'm not superior. I'm just continuing to share this message to other people. When I, when I see people stuck in the violence, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't need to feel like I'm superior. Or I'm better. It is. It is not. It is not. It is not true. That that I need to be with the people who are also stuck in the cycle of violence, and then keep on helping the people in my society, in my community. Um, thank you. Um, thank you so much. So, uh, for for you personally, as part of the transformation journey, and I mean that's a lifelong experience for all of us. But for you, it's so intense living through this. Do you find yourself now, um, the injustice is still bad, but uh, you're not raging against it as much as you did. You probably still do, but you, you, like uh, Jesus as a teacher told us to be peacemakers. So is, are you, do you find yourself uh, more peaceful in May of 2022 than May of 2021 when you first tried to apply it? Or now I'm assuming, but you tell me, because it's a personal journey that you're coping with it better in the best sense that you're, you, you don't like it. You're going to fight against it in the right way, but you have more of a calm about it or, or, or mm. what, where are you? Yeah, I would say that. Uh, so I, I want to make a very uh, honest confession that finding peace in my soul, it's a journey. And I would just add, I don't think maybe the, the ultimate goal is, is finding peace peace so much that it is practicing discipline. Uh, a helpful metaphor is if you're on a real literal battlefield and literal bullets are flying, bad things happen. And that causes 
all sorts of emotions. And you can do really stupid things as a soldier if you get angry and react out of your anger. And the process of being a good soldier is not saying, I want to be tranquil and float around on this battlefield all at peace with the world, but saying, I need to get my anger under control, discipline myself, and think, what is the most effective way to make progress in this battle? I still want to overcome the enemy, that enemy being evil, not that person that's you know shooting the gun. But I want to overcome evil, but I need to do that in a disciplined way. And I think, you know, I've, I've seen <clears throat> in our conversations a lot of whether or not it's it's feeling the, the emotion of peace, having increasing amounts of discipline in how we approach the broad national problems that, you know, that, that we're facing. I mean, and thank you for that. And you use a trite analogy from the business world, if you will, you know, they talk about people who are cool under fire and this is as intense as you can get, but it's that sense because the training starts to take, I mean, I guess that's, that's, that's what you're alluding to. Let's, uh, let's go a little bit less intense personally, but thank you for sharing, Sam. That was really, really good. But this way, um, has been copied and, and you talked about people starting to say things like, um, responding with violence won't get us anywhere. So let, let, let's look at it, look at it historically. Even if uh, you just look at Jesus as a great teacher, which which is fine for discussion purposes, a lot of people have learned from Jesus. You know, um, I I was born and lived for the first 12, 13 years of my life in India, and uh, Mahatma Gandhi kindled this uh, this movement uh, of nonviolence to get the British to peacefully leave. Uh, and he, he was quoted as saying, you know, an eye for a, an eye makes the whole world blind, right? And then I, I you know, he's obviously, he, he never, uh, he adhered to Christian principles. I think he said, I, I love the beliefs and the practices. It's the people that, that disappoint me. And I don't know what Nelson Mandela was, his own fate journey was, but Martin Luther King Jr. in the United States was certainly a, a Christian preacher. So this way has been tried and amazingly, it, uh, it creates change. It summons um, what is deep inside the human soul and, and starts a movement. So uh, can either of you, Don or Sam, comment on uh, what inspiration you, you you took from this fourth way being tried and 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 obviously Sam you had to go out there and and practice is nothing like being in the battlefield but uh, but what inspiration or courage you could take from 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 those? I will just say I was actually a student of all three. We talk about Gandhi and Mandela and MLK um, before I encountered this in the way of Jesus, and I I learned it outside of the source. And then I, I felt like when I, you know, when we had this personal trauma and, and went back to this, the historical records about Jesus, I said, oh, that's, that's where they, they all got it from. Um, so, you know, Mandela is an interesting case because he, he started out uh, embracing violence. He was thrown in jail for being a, a terrorist. That was the accusation. And that was a, a pretty uh, accurate description of him at the time. And then during his long imprisonment on Robben Island, he he had some big realizations and came out of that a very changed person believing that to unify south africa that had to be done by breaking down fear you know the the afrikaner population was very fearful of um a predominantly black population 
getting in charge. He knew that needed to be addressed. So he's he's addressing the root causes like fear and, and rehumanizing people. And when he talked about the Rainbow Nation, um, painting a picture that was redefining the battle. He was not talking about blacks versus whites anymore. He was talking in the terms of this is the goal and you can be black or white and be for that goal or you can be black or white and be against that goal and, and let's redefine it. Um, Gandhi in the same way, I, I was just a couple days ago um, in my own personal study, just reading through the, the story of Jesus and he comes to Pilate right before he's crucified. Pilate's the, the senior general in charge of the, the military. And Pilate's trying to nail him down about, are you a king or not? Like, tell me, are, are you starting a political movement? And of course, he can't pin Jesus down. And Jesus's response is, you know, you say I'm a king. I have been born for this reason, to testify to the truth. Anyone who listens to the truth will, will listen to me and anyone will follow me. Well, I mean, Gandhi, that when, when he talks about satyagraha, right, the, the truth force or, or clinging to truth. I mean, that's, that's almost verbatim what Jesus was saying. You know, I am, I am for the truth and anyone who is for the truth is a friend of mine. Well, that's, that's what Gandhi was all about. And of course, MLK, you know, we, we see the examples because he was drawing directly from the life of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Dan. Uh, yes, Jake, uh, all, three, all, all these three uh, great people are uh, example, a very good example for our own uh, struggles. So, yeah, but um, but I want to admit that uh, my knowledge about uh, the three people are still very limited, but the message that they give to us is very, uh, very true, which originated from the, the life of Jesus. So uh, this is very consistent to the fourth way that we are promoting. But at the same time, I wanted to acknowledge that here, in, in, in when we are in the midst of the uh, the, the violence, the, it, is, it is extremely, extremely challenging and difficult to go back to the examples of these three great people and also ultimately the, the example of Jesus. Uh, when the violence is so, so intense, our thinking, our mind is mostly on the, th on the three ways, on the first three ways, uh, because of the, because our, 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 uh, the connection of our feelings and our thinking thinking is not uh, not so good. Emotions just takes go over, as I said before, anger, hatred, and fear just take over. So, in at that kind of uh, situation, it is so difficult to go back to the good example of uh, that treatment. But my work, my job, is to to keep on reminding people, to keep on reminding myself and other people that. Let's go back to a good example, the example of Jesus, and then the three great men that we have seen in our history. Um, so uh, thank you. And let's, let's spend a few minutes, uh, all three of us. Um, if you look at Gandhi and um, Mandela and MLK Jr., they were definitely activists. They wanted to change the system, right? So they summoned this fourth way and they got a, other people to follow and change happened. But most of us are not activists we just want to live and let live right and and so let's talk about what it's uh what it's like and let's just take uh, the current situation in ukraine obviously when an occupying force is coming in there's war going on and we won't get into is there a holy war or just war and how do you defend yourself 
But let's suppose a, 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 a part of Ukraine got occupied. And there was a fascinating, rather long article I just read in The New Yorker about what it was like to, to not just survive, but to continue to, to live. And, and this particular person was, was a civic leader. He wasn't trying to resist the occupiers, but he wanted the citizens to be able to live. And so he had to get the cooperation of the Russian forces. And the reason he's telling the story is because apparently the counteroffensive of the Ukrainians uh, pushed the Russians back and uh, the territory is back under Ukrainian control and he could tell the story. But that's a fascinating story about uh, uh, how the Russians came in and they wanted to you know, keep the food going, deliver to the people, keep the electricity on, wanted the schools opened, yet they wanted uh, the propaganda uh, to... Uh, to be spewed out that they were they were freeing Ukraine from the Nazis and, and Western aggression and so on. And it was obvious this person didn't believe a word of it. It was incredulous, but he had to horse trade, if you will, in my words, right, to be able to, uh, uh, to get services for the people. And um, he's walking a fine line between his own sense of integrity, but also uh, doing a good for the people. Uh, uh, talk a little bit about how how you got you folks find yourself, Sam, dealing with that. If you're not an activist, but you want to live, uh, but you got to do what I call this horse trading. Uh, how do you how do you stay true to your conscience? I uh, live the fourth way, but but uh, uh, but deal with the person in 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 love, but knowing the the system is not what you would you would be. I'd imagine you have to, that's part of the day-to-day kind of interactions that you have to do, or am I getting that wrong? Yeah. Yeah, this this story is very, uh, uh, very touching, very inspiring uh, to me. Yeah. But uh, reflecting on my life uh, in the past one, one year, uh, my encounter, a direct encounter with uh, this kind of people hasn't, hasn't, uh, hasn't come up yet, but uh, there were some slight encounters at a short encounter at a checkpoint, just giving giving a smile, um, be, be, be true to yourself, know yourself, be aware of yourself when, whenever you can encounter the people. Uh, so that is, that is the only experience that I have right now. But I have one a little longer encounter uh, about two weeks ago. We, I, I went to this place, and then uh, uh, it is a hilly region of the country. So uh, there's a there's the highest hill uh, in 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 uh, in the in the town. Uh, there was a, a pagoda, and also there was a lot of uh, tel- uh, telephone. Uh, how do you get the, mm-hmm. like the tower? Cell phone Cell phone towers. Cell phone towers. So I, me, my brother, and another another friends, we decided to to walk up to that that hill. Uh, I I've been there one time. I it, there were steps, but I, this this time we we didn't know that we the, we we just saw a, a path like a hiking path, and then we didn't know how where it ends. But we just keep on walking, 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 and then finally we got we got to this to this uh, uh pagoda transform into a uh, pagoda which has a lot of our uh, cell phone towers but now this is transformed into the base and then there were a number of soldiers guarding this 
this this space because it is very strategic strategic location of the town, and also it this is a, a giving security for the uh, cell phone towers because they are often targeted to by the bombers. So they were put, and then sometimes they put landmines on on a path. We, we didn't know that, but they are, but if we go uh, to the to the like uh, if we go beyond the the hiking path, probably we will step on the landmine. But they, they, because because they, they placed that uh, to to protect the cell phone towers. But when we got there, I, I was greeted. I was greeted. Uh, there were uh, about uh, three four soldiers, but one soldier was very very uh, friendly, telling us uh, this is the place where we are living. This is this is where we are. Uh, this is where where I sit at evening because it has a very good view to the sunset. And then when I sit in, at this place, extremely, extremely friendly. But the other one was, uh, when we get there, they were suspicious on us and then just holding, uh, almost cocking his, his, his guns and then just making it ready. But uh, three of us, uh, three of us, myself, my brother, and another another friends from other organizations. But uh, this, is, this is my experience. But uh, after I, I, we were there for 15, uh, 20 minutes, just talking to this man and also enjoying the panoramic view of the town. But uh, then we, we came back after that. But it was a, a very lovely encounter for me. Uh, and, and I wish, I wish, oh, why, 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 what if I give him some uh, gifts? Like uh, I can give him like uh, a few small amount of money and just go and have your a nice tea when you have a, uh, a chance. So I should have done that, I thought, but I, I didn't. I didn't do that. Uh, but uh, another 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 point that I wanted to mention is where. So as as we came down the hill, we also see another another friends. But the term. So me, my brother, and and my colleagues, and this colleague talked to another friend whom we met on the way. Down, downhill, and then use the term. We just met the dog at the top of the oh. hills, and I was, I was kind of, yeah, I was because this is a term. This is a term that, uh, but this is not the the old dog like like the term is like the military top or war dog or something like that. So it is widely used in this country, which I try to avoid using myself, but. This is this is I, I mean the the emotion the anger of the people are still very big, very uh, untouched unchallenged, and then this is still going on in our society. But for me, it was a very nice encounter with the soldier. Oh my gosh, what a what a what a moving story! I mean, you got the regime, which is this faceless uh, entity, but you encountered people in the regime and. Uh, and one had fear, but the other you could see through and see the humanity. So such that when you were walking back down the hill, the fact that somebody else called them a dog just made, made your heart weep almost. So uh, that is so touching, Sam. Thank you for that. I think one of the things that's helpful when we think about how do you do horse trading without moral compromise, I think the people who feel moral compromise uh, most acutely and, and in a misplaced way are the people who don't redefine the battle and they, they see it as us versus them and doing anything with the other side legitimizes them or props them up or whatever. When you redefine the battle to say, hey, this is about, are we trying to tear down our country and just burn it all to the ground? Or are we trying to 
build it up and have a positive future and rehumanize people and be able to negotiate more effectively than we can right now. Then if you have that framework, dehumanization is a huge problem and you got to deal with it. You know, you, you're never going to be able to come to a peaceable agreement in this country. Nobody has enough guns to win. Um, and sooner or later, you're going to have to talk to the other side and figure out, I mean, unless you want the whole country to be burned to the ground, how do we work this out? And that requires rehumanizing your enemy and having interactions with quote unquote, the enemy can be a way to do that. So it turns it into an opportunity, I think. Um, and narratives are so, I mean, it's not the people that we're fighting. I think it's the narratives that we need to fight and break down. So, you know, the narratives that the military believes about the resistance forces right now, it's a horrible narrative and that needs to get broken down. They, they, they view the resistance forces as terrorists who are just trying to kill everybody and tear down the country. And the resistance forces view the military as a horrific regime, just doing awful stuff, bloodthirsty and, you know, completely um, <clears throat> irascible, unsalvageable. There's nothing good about them. You know, they just all need to be killed. Those narratives need to be broken down. The people don't need to be killed, but the narratives need to be stopped. And interactions like um, Sam was talking about, those are the beginnings of breaking those things down. So it's actually a part of the fourth way, a part of engagement to have those things rather than a, a, a moral compromise, if you do it in the right mindset. Very, very wise words. I think there's a lot of humanity and wisdom in what both of you said. So as we kind of wrap up, for both the regular listeners of the Oak Guild Institute podcast, but anybody else that same you might want to pass this on to, let's uh, let's start with each of you. Uh, start with Don. What would be your your parting messages or word? Mm. I can imagine that many people listening to this in America are experiencing the increasing polarization that we all see in the U.S., and that's of course one of the reasons why the Oak Guild Institute exists to try to create loving, respectful, if sometimes dissenting dialogue. And I think it's really critical that we re-examine the narratives that we have about what what groups, what's the battle where how's the battle lines drawn? Is it is it conservatives versus liberals, Republicans versus Democrats? Is that what we're gonna do? You know, is it is it coasts versus heartland or or is there something else, people who want to build up the U.S. and build up whatever country you're, you're living and listening in, and people who want to find a negotiated future with others in a way that we can actually successfully make difficult negotiations versus people who are uninterested in negotiation and have a scorched earth policy of my way or the highway. And when we redefine that battle, I think we are in a much better position to be able to begin engaging with quote unquote the enemy, to reaching across the aisle, to making the kinds of humanizing connections with other people that allow us to begin understanding the needs, the desires, the hopes, dreams, aspirations of the people that otherwise we might dehumanize and call our enemy. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Sam? Yes, um, I, I have two points. One is the temptation to be on the first three ways, like violence against violence, uh, comply, or co collaborate, or just disengage. The temptation for the three way is very, very uh, big for us. So most of the time we are just, we are, we are, we are just uh, drawn into those three ways. 
the, the, the fourth way is uh, the way that, that will truly liberate us. The active nonviolence resistance is the only way that is going to liberate us from our struggle. And then uh, uh, for the second point is uh, the way, the way, when we say way, the way is the, the way to take, to take on, to walk, to travel. I, I, I know the way doesn't help, but I need to travel. So constantly be on the way, constantly be on the journey of transformation is very important for us too. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Thank you both. I know our our listeners and whoever else listens to this will just be blessed by just both of you sharing your heart and your feelings, um, as well as the way. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I will just close us in one of the coincidences of the data. I think it's more than a coincidence. I read this this morning. And uh, this is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was the German theologian who lived, obviously, in a very oppressive regime under Nazi Germany. Um, so he had this quote, which to me epitomizes his way of talking about the fourth way. Here's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The person who loves their dream of community think Hitler and what he thought about the German nation. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. And knowing we were going to have this discussion, I thought, darn, Bonhoeffer had, the, had internalized the fourth way as well. It's, it's, it's right there. So thank you. Thank you so much to Sam and Don, both pseudonyms, for sharing your personal experiences. After hearing them, how would you respond to a repressive military regime in your country? As you heard from Sam, this is not a hypothetical or historical question, but daily reality for him, his friends, and his family, and many the world over. Fortunately, or unfortunately, I should say, we have historical examples of living out the fourth way. Nonviolent resistance, satyagraha, was lived out in India by Gandhi and his followers. In the U.S. during the civil rights movement, we had bus boycotts, lunch counter sit-ins, and countless peaceful marches led by Martin Luther King Jr. and others. In South Africa, Nelson Mandela, after his imprisonment, renounced his violent origins and led his people to oppose apartheid with peaceful resistance. And that was just last century. What I didn't fully grasp before listening to Sam and Don was how the original model of this fourth way actually came from Israel 2,000 years ago. The country we referred to in this podcast is predominantly Buddhist, but the second religion at around 68% of the population is Christian. As you heard, our guests are Christian. The original example of the fourth way was the historical Jesus. But is not the Sunday school submissive open arms Jesus with children and baby lambs on his lap? Almost all of you have seen those paintings. It was the righteous Jesus who flipped over tables in the temple to stand against the corruptive practices of his own people. It was the Jesus who did not flee nor raise a hand against Roman government authorities arresting him. He refused to submit to their way and lift a finger to save himself. He did the unthinkable and forgave his killers. I used to think of the historical death of Jesus as a passive sacrifice. After today, I think of it as a peaceful yet conscious and intentional defiance. The fourth way is fascinating, and I encourage you to learn about it in practice. 
Regardless of your religion or beliefs, I think there is something to learn about living this way from Jesus, Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, or Nelson Mandela. Once explained, it is simple to conceive of, but very, very hard to live out. And maybe, as you heard, a daily or minute-by-minute struggle against other natural inclinations to fight or flee or even join in an effort to keep the peace. For those listening who are in the midst of a repressive government or organization or power, we hope these stories give you inspiration and encouragement to think differently about your options of how to respond and know that our thoughts and prayers are with you. Thank you for joining the Oak Guild Institute's Life of the Mind podcast, where our curiosity is explored through unique experiences and diverse perspectives. We encourage you, the listener, to share this episode with another and start a dialogue. Remember, it's always okay to respectfully and lovingly disagree with ideas and interpretations of events you listen to here or get from other sources. Whatever the conflict, there are often a tangle of reasons for and fear behind each of our opinions. Through reflection and loving, open, contested dialogue, we seek truth and we seek compassion for all. To find out about new episodes, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit oakguild.org to learn more about our other efforts to deepen and broaden the conversation.